I'm a big believer that we have to connect at the heart first. So if somebody's going to open up about adversities, challenges, fears, doubts, pain, uncertainty, can I or can't I perform in this climate or in that climate or on this field or on that court? Well, in order to do that, we have to understand what's in their heart. What's that fire? What's that passion? And then how do you think? How do you show up? What do you believe before we can ever talk about giving your best? And I think a lot of times people go straight to the processor. Here's what worked for so-and-so. And they forget that deep-rooted emotional piece, which I actually call your burn. And it's where I always start. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. Sean and Lacey here with you, just as we are each and every week. And unlike most weeks, we have a, a guest who is becoming a relationship who we're excited to talk to. Further connect this like, with. This is like a, a secret look-in. Like It's like an interview slash connection <laughs> slash exploration of all things possible. <clears throat> What I'm super excited about is that there's this idea that, um, listen, no matter what we're, we're doing in life as entrepreneurs, things don't always go our way. And so many people seek out coaching because you want guidance, mentorship, especially in, I would say, play calling. What would you do next? What advice would you give me if you were in my shoes? But we oftentimes over or underestimate the need for guidance when building teams, guidance when we start bringing on more people and we don't really know how to be a leader, how to lead our company, our business to where we have the vision where it can go. So often it's us, it's, it's us who is the obstacle, not everyone else. So we decided we'll bring in a true expert on leadership, on how to truly inspire not only yourself, not just, hey, let's get excited, folks, but how to be able to transfer that out into other people. Let's bring on Ben Newman. And I know that what's super cool, you've had more opportunity to interact with Ben because you've had opportunity with Ben um, to sit side by to sit side, side by I side know. with him. Yes. Sean was feeling a little jealousy <laughs> over that opportunity I had there. So we're glad to have you here and sit together. <laughs> So you, so you guys are awesome. It's great for the three of us to be together. And like David Meltzer's like that magic connector of people. So this is like a long time coming because I heard things from like mutual friends that we have and then to be able to spend time in, in Vegas. And Lacey and I were actually in studio twice together, although this time the, the last time it was side by side for the show. So I'm so excited to spend time with you both and your listeners. There's only one stock question, and here it is. It's the first question every time. And this was going to have a, an interesting answer because I, I got a little bit of a preview uh, when you and I spoke. Um, and that question is, and first of all, the reason why we ask this question at the beginning of every episode is someone can see someone like Ben Newman. Someone can see you on social media. Maybe they've seen you on stages. Maybe even they're fans of a sports team, and they've seen you through those 
uh, through those elements. And it's easy to see you in that position and think, well, of course, mm -hmm. because that's Ben. I mean, he must have grown up with Saban. He must have, um, you know, have connections and ties into the All NCAA. All these opportunities nobody else has. That's why. That's right. why he's who he is. And we know full well that that's not always the case. So share with us a little bit of your creation story. How do you end up being Ben Newman of today? Well, first off, let me say, I still have two coaches. Uh, also just joined a mastermind with an individual who's going to be my third coach. I'm still reading books every day, so I'm far from figuring it out. But what I have found on my journey is there have been so many blessings to be able to meet individuals that help me when I'm knocked down. And so I think, and it's the same for you guys too, all the events that you do and the people that you impact, you know, being friends with David Meltzer, they all want to say, oh, everything's perfect in their lives. There's so much challenge. There's so much adversity. And I found from the time when I was a little boy up until now that it's the pain, it's the challenge that I've been through that's helped build the greatest muscle and strength that I have to want to have this desire to go impact. And that's been the difference. And I've been blessed to have coaches and mentors my whole life to pick me up off that mat of life when I felt like I had nothing left in the tank. I couldn't go any further. I didn't understand why things were happening in my life. And so for me, I had to grow up fast. Parents divorced when I was six months old, never knew my parents together. And then my mother was diagnosed with a rare muscle disease uh, called amyloidosis. And there's still, even to this day, there's no cure for amyloidosis. And the way my mother fought and battled that disease, I mean, Sean Lacey, she had a, a journal where she would write, beat the statistics, beat the odds, live with the disease that is chronic and fatal, believe in yourself, combat anything, purpose in life after she was told that she had two to four years to live with a disease that still to this day, there's no cure for. And even though she passed 11 days before my eighth birthday, that is the greatest champion of life I have ever known. My mother's the most amazing leader I've ever known. And so every day I just fight to continue to write her story by doing the best I can to be my best just one day at a time. Such a powerful story. I, I'm a little... I'm a little emotional because my dad's um, yesterday was 13 years that my dad had passed away and, and he had instilled so much of, of morals, belief systems, and so many things inside of me that is the reason I am the person I am today. So I super resonate with that. I'm curious too, because what, what a powerful woman to be able to show you that through her strength. Now, what you do is you could do something called performance coaching, and I... I think that for our listeners out there, one of the things that Sean and I always try to do is, is define terms. And I think a lot of people can think performance coaching and they can, they can kind of decide what that means for them. But what do you, what do you consider performance coaching and how do you help others? Well, I appreciate the question because it really can go in so many different directions. And I also appreciate the connection that, that we have, you know, oftentimes it is through that loss where you build that strength and, and you have a, a shift in perspective to pay a little more attention to every day and, and the details. And so as a performance coach, you know, I guess what might clear it up, Coach Saban in my five years that I spent at Alabama and a couple national championships, he actually called me a mental conditioning coach. So I actually do the mental training or the mental side. And one of the ways that we always connect first, so whether it's at Alabama or in our corporate work, within the first five minutes, I'm sharing my mother's story. I'm sharing pain that I've been through with my father. And I'm a big believer that we have to connect at the heart first. 
So if somebody's going to open up about adversities, challenges, fears, doubts, pain, uncertainty, can I or can't I perform in this climate or in that climate or on this field or on that court? Well, in order to do that, we have to understand what's in their heart. What's that fire? What's that passion? And then how do you think? How do you show up? What do you believe before we can ever talk about giving your best? And I think a lot of times people go straight to the processor. Here's what worked for so-and-so. And they forget that deep-rooted emotional piece, which I actually call your burn. And it's where I always start. So mental conditioning, performance coaching, it's more on what's in between your two ears, uh, even though I stay in shape, rather than you know the muscles that you have or, or lifting weights. Well, let's talk about that, um, both on the field, in the athletic realm, but also in the business realm, share with us some of the experiences and probably the, this isn't the highlight reel, but some of the experience, and you can anonymize these if you, if you feel the need to, where maybe somebody had all of the talent. So it was you know, in the muscles and in the ability, but where that space between the two ears literally caused them to have wasted talent, to waste all of their gifts because they just couldn't get it straight. Maybe there's an example where maybe you came in with a slight fix and everything turned around. I, I love, love, love the question. I'm going to take us out of the sports world uh, into the corporate world for this one. And I definitely don't want to call this group underperformers. So I want to preface that before I say this, but my work in college football started with the North Dakota state bison. And so that's where many people know, they win national championships all the time. I was blessed to win a handful there as well. But that's where my work in sports started. And I was at the team hotel one day, and one of the boosters walks up to me. And he says, you're that guy that runs up and down the sideline firing up the players, and you keep their minds right, and you're going to come speak at my company. And he's, he's like, like all up in my face. I said, okay. I said, well, you know, nice to meet you. I'm Ben. And he introduces himself, and he says, you're going to come speak at Microsoft. And I was like, okay. And you know, I've been doing corporate work. A lot of people don't realize my work doing this, I've been doing this for 17 years. It started in the corporate world from 06 to 11. I didn't do anything in sports. And so I said, tell me more. And he said, I run a $7 billion solutions team for Microsoft. It's in North America. We have about 350 to 400 people on our team, dependent upon the year and projects we're working on. I have 12 amazing leaders, and I want you to work with our leaders. I'm like, man, you've got me fired up. Let's do it. So we end up working through what does that look like? What's the relationship going to be? And we built this entire calendar to work together for a year. And I go to meet with these leaders. And I'm, I'm going to say it again. They were already high performers. I mean, they're running a $7 billion solutions team for Microsoft. And we get in. And I said, well, tell me the pain. Like, why are you bringing me here? Like, you already are performing at this high level. And they said, it's so hard to connect with 35 to 40 people. You know, there's 12 of us. There's 350. Like, it's so hard. And I've always shared a concept that I call unexpected intentional touches. You know, for us as leaders or, you know, in our, our lives or when you're working with a big team, it's easy to say, well, we'll just wait until the next review. Like when Lacey and I have a review, I'll tell her that she's doing things that are great. But you expect it during a review. So what I've always taught leaders is learn to recognize people when they don't expect it. 
And when you help people realize they're doing great and you highlight why they're great or meaningful or important to the team, when it's unexpected, it's more meaningful and it lasts longer. And so I teach this to the team and they're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I said, depending upon the size of the team, it's once to twice a day. You work 20 days in a month. It's a basic math problem. Do it once to twice a day. You'll hit everybody on the team every month. And so sure enough, long story short, they all do it. We get to the end of the year. And this is what's wild. Microsoft, because they're always looking for that new edge, something different. They sign contracts with individuals like myself for one year. That's it. So it's like they lock you in. You talk about having to be focused. Like you get one year. That's all. <laughs> so we get done. It's our last meeting together. And I found out before I went to this final in-person retreat that this team of 12, their $7 billion team, received the highest what they call health score in all of Microsoft in the entire world. Wow. Now, a health score manages, they measure all the different aspects of the performance of that team for all the different ways. And so I said, how did you guys do this? Like, this is incredible. Like, you're the number one team in the world. Ten of the 12 leaders said unexpected intentional touches was the difference in changing our culture and building stronger relationships and connection with our team members. And so, you know, I think for sometimes, you know, we're looking for this big extreme change Yet sometimes it's something very simple that when you do it consistently can make all the difference. Wow. It's, it, I love that because it's like infusing positivity into individ, individuals to ensure that they know that they're on the right track, doing the right thing, and reinforcing actually their performance in your place of work. So here's my next question, though, because as a leader, I can do that for my employees, for my team. But oftentimes it becomes difficult to do that for myself. And I can't tell you how many times we talk to people and like that burn that you're talking about, that thing that drives you, the passion that fuels you, sometimes people just get tired and it, it, it dilutes a little bit and the burn is not fueling as much. And people say, I feel like I've lost my passion. I don't know how to reignite myself because they don't have somebody doing that for them necessarily. So how do you help the leaders themselves maintain that so that they can be strong, powerful leaders? I love that question. These are like the greatest questions ever for an interview. I think we try. We really try. We're friends <laughs> and this is a relationship. It's not just a standard interview. So I'm getting, I'm getting the good questions. Love, you know, for me, what I, I think it really comes down to is standard over feelings. And mm -hmm. so, you know, once you understand what's in somebody's heart, how do they think? What are their dreams? What are their goals? What are their aspirations? How do they lead? What's the impact they want to make? Feelings are going to show up. And so I always encourage people, don't allow your feelings to dictate how you show up, which can show up positive or negative. Sometimes it's yesterday was so tough. I don't feel like doing it today. Or I've been doing sales training. That's where all my work and speaking started for, you know, all these years, 17 years. A lot of times you take a high performer and they're doing so well, like they have the most amazing first quarter ever. And then they choose to stop doing the things that cause them to be successful. Their feelings get in the way. They get seduced by success. And so I encourage people and we have conversations to identify what is that burn? What are the pieces of your process so that we can help them understand what is that standard that causes you to win? Because even though you can see rings behind me from championships, you know, that's not how I define winning. Winning is your ability one day at a time 
to look yourself in the mirror and say, today I gave it my very best. And so for you, Lacey, losing your father, for me losing my mom, my mom passed away at 38 years old. I'm 44. So to me, I look at it, I say, I've been given six extra years that my mother never had, one day at a time. And so every day for me, that burn is, even on the days that I don't want to feel like it, and even though this is the work that I do, there's plenty of days I don't want to do my workout. I'd rather eat pancakes than a healthy breakfast. I'd rather not have to do all the things that I need to do to track and grow our business. But you do it because the day's a blessing. And so I think it's helping people understand what's that burn, how can we shift their perspective for them to know that when you find that burn, that's what ignites why and purpose that then causes us to be disciplined on those good days and bad days. And, and I know John has a question, but such a powerful message to, to say to people like, hey, it's okay to have feelings like that. Everybody has them. Because I think so many people try to you know, like to shove those down like subconsciously and say, that's not me. I'm going to show up the, perfectly every single day and not acknowledge that some days it is hard. And some days you do feel like that. And actually giving yourself permission to recognize those, but say, I'm, I still get to choose how I show up. Right. Well, and that's, I want to press a little bit here, Ben, because yes, I, I would agree. We need to find that. But the person that needs to find that is oftentimes you know, when we've hit rock bottom, so to speak, they can hear those words that you say. And intellectually, it makes all the sense in the world. Like sure. all I have to do, right? All I have to do, Make I just have to find it and then get up and do my workout. Um, and I'm sure that you've been there. We've all been there. That's way easier said than done, especially to the person like it's, we find ourselves stuck in these negative patterns. Any tips on how we break that and we move from that sounds really good to now I'm going to go. I, I always feel that, right? You go to the gym afterwards, you're like, I feel great. Why yeah. didn't I want to do this? It's <laughs> the before that's where you're stuck and that's where it's really hard. Give us some actionable things that get us moved out of that mud because we know it's going to be great when we do it. We just can't figure that out. Well, the, the first thing, let, let me just highlight this before I, I give what will be an actionable item and takeaway, because those things are so important for me uh, when it comes to opportunities to spend time together like this. First off, what you're alluding to when you go get the workout in, it's that shot of dopamine that just makes you feel good. Like when you do the little things that you know you're supposed to do, it just feels good. So in its basic form, we all just have to make the little decisions and choices repeatedly that make you feel good. Eating the things that you should eat, you know, rather than just running out of the house. Hey, love you. See you later. Like actually look at your children, look at your significant other, hold them a little tighter, look them in the eyes. Like, I love you. I'll see you later tonight. Right. And like, it makes you feel good or here are the phone calls that I'm supposed to make. Right. Well, like, then actually be intentional on that phone call and make the phone call. It feels good. When we make an excuse and we don't do it, it doesn't feel good. When I tell myself, oh, I'm going to eat a healthy breakfast, but I eat pancakes, that doesn't feel good. And one of the reasons why people have that tendency to continue to make those decisions that live to the excuses, the uncertainty, or their feelings is because their environment isn't set up. So I'm going to give you one of the most basic examples. And so for all your listeners, and I'm not calling anybody out. Heck, I'm behind a screen in my house, so I, I can't call you out. I don't need you to raise your hand or nod your heads, but I just want you to think, and this is just an honest answer for yourself. 
Where do you keep your alarm clock? Most people these days, the alarm clock's on the phone. Okay, so where do you keep your phone? I keep it right on my nightstand. How often do you hit the snooze button? Uh, not that often, like maybe three times a week or four times. Okay, so now we're 40% of the time you're hitting the snooze button, which means you're starting your day by not honoring what you said you were going to do. I'm going to be direct because I care that much. You see that vein start to pop out when I get excited about teaching things like this. That's just called passion. I'm not coming down on you. But the reality is we know you probably shouldn't have the alarm by your bed. It's too easy to hit the snooze button. So one of the things I've done for years, I take my phone and I put it in the bathroom. Why? Because I have to get out of bed. I know Amy's going to kill me if I were to hit the snooze button. So it's a little bit of a light jog to get to the phone. So now the body's going a little bit. And then I look at my phone and a lot of people don't know this. You can actually name your alarm clock. So my alarm clock is Janet Fishman Newman Legacy. So I've got this little light jog. I can't hit the snooze button because Amy's going to kill me. And I just read my mother's name and legacy, which is what I want to do. Carry on her legacy one day at a time. What do you think the odds are that I'm hitting the snooze button? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes every day. I already told you, I, I still have two coaches and read books every day, but I don't hit the snooze button. That's that first win. And I think too many people, the environment isn't set up. Phone's right by the bed. You're making it too easy to live to your excuses. So that's a basic example, but it's actually a really important one. And, you know, for everybody, we, we could talk for hours about this, but we have to analyze what are the changes you need to make to your environment so that your discipline in your life changes? Yeah, it's interesting because you said earlier on when you were talking, you're talking about uh, focusing on like standards and personal standards in order to increase performance. And I imagine that this is one of those things for you. Like this is a standard. I get up and I don't hit the snooze button. So how does somebody begin to identify what those things are for them in order to utilize that as leverage to increase their performance and, and their mental toughness throughout the day. Yeah, because there's yeah. The, there's people, I mean, I'm just going to speak for them, that are like- Break promises to themselves well, all day long. No, they're like, that's not the standard, right? Oh, so that, right. Right, so that's great for you, Ben, because you probably go to bed early and then when the <laughs> alarm goes off, you're not tired. Me, I stay up until 2 a.m. and then the alarm goes off. That's why, right. right? So we have this idea, right? So these standards, story. right? We have these stories and, and that's the thing. Like, is that a standard? Are you saying that's a life standard? We should all adhere to that? Like, how do I Personal, figure out yeah. what my standards are? But I think everybody's different, right? So I don't go to bed at 2 a.m. So you go to bed at 2 a.m., which means you're going to wake up later than I wake up, right? So it's, Whatever framework causes you to perform at a high level. Some people may say, like, my focus at night and my ideas and things that I do, or that's my release where I can get away and nobody's bothering me and here are the things that I do at night. Well, of course you should keep doing those things. So your standards might be different than mine. It's, a, it's an interesting question, and here's why. It's actually what's caused us uh, to write or caused me to write my next book. So my next book, a lot of people, I haven't, I haven't talked about this much, but because of the question I'm gonna answer it. It must be this relationship thing coming out again. But my next book will come out later this year and it's actually called The Standard. Because we currently live in a world today where everybody talks about the standard and standard. But like you hear a coach say it, or you hear, you read an article about somebody in a magazine, you're like, but what the hell does that mean? 
Right. And so what we're doing is we're unpacking the standard and it starts in the first chapter. The first chapter is like a master class on the standard that unpacks 20 different ways that'll hit people in different ways. And then there are these, these four P's of the standard. And then the goal of the book is to help people realize like, Sean, yours and mine don't have to be the same, but let's help you understand what does that mean to you? What are the standards that when you follow through with these things, and a dear friend of mine, Mel Tucker, who I work with with the Michigan State football program, I love this, I think you both will love this. He says the opposite of the standard is unacceptable. Mm. And so once we become clear as to what those standards are, then Sean and Lacey, you can say, okay, if that's my standard, the time I get up, what I eat, how I show up for our team, I do something to honor somebody every day or an act of service, then to not do those things at some point in time has to become unacceptable to you. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment where you say, I will attack growth. And it becomes this, I will attack growth. So with the book, we want people to clearly understand what is your standard. Yours is different than mine. Every listener, it's going to be different. And so super excited that that book will be coming out later because it is one of those things. Everybody talks about it, but I feel like nobody has written the book yet to say, okay, what in the world does that actually mean? This is great. Well, I, I just think I, about all of the people that you, you, Sean always says, you know, what's your well, favorite? Well, the Mike Tomlin quote, yes, right? With the, on the wall quote. The, in the Steelers the locker room. Well, that's got to be the first stop. Yeah. I hope that the Steelers call you because it says the standard is the standard. So every player that walks by that probably what thinks, is the standard? what is the standard? And now Ben has written the book on it. He also has another book. Can, called, can I share something really quick? Yeah. Because yeah. I'll, I'll be remiss if I didn't politely interrupt you on this one, you being a Steelers fan. So one of my favorite athletes that I've ever worked with is Najee Harris, who's the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Najee is one of the most amazing stories. For anybody that does not know Najee's story, Najee grew up, he was homeless in Antioch, California. I mean, literally, his mom and his siblings, like they lived in a homeless shelter. Wow. This is giving me goosebumps. And when I met Najee for the first time at Alabama, and we worked together for three years at Alabama. I was there when they won the national championship in 2020. He and I became very close. He's a special... There was just something about him. And then you see when he gets drafted, he decided rather than going to New York to hold up his jersey, he decided to get drafted and to be in Antioch, California at that homeless shelter. And with some of his first paychecks to put money back into that homeless shelter. So when we say the standard, it's not just performance, but I'll tell you, because Mike Tomlin's one of my favorites. Mike Tomlin does things the right way, and it's why he's never not made the playoffs regardless of the roster. He just believes recruit or draft the right men. And the right men like the Najee Harris's are going to do things the right way. And when you bring them from Alabama, they already know what the standard is. So then when you say the standard is the standard, you're, you're bringing people in. And that's what I encourage people to do. Take your time because a lot of us aren't in professional sports going through a draft to find our next team members, you know, don't, don't go fast and just hire somebody. Take time. Are they a right fit? Are we going to get along? Do we belong together? Can we win together? People like Najee Harris, anybody can win with a Najee Harris in life. Oh, Ooh, I love that. We could go super deep that on that. I have, I have a, uh, a Najee Harris um, Jersey mm -hmm. as soon as he, as soon as he was drafted, um, not not a Najee. I, 
they've sent somebody sent me one and I because yes. they knew yes. I was a fan and um and I love like that like you didn't get it off his back <laughs> right. is what you're saying <laughs> but it's also we talk about hire people not roles and I right. love that like in the business right hire the right people like maybe even probably not but maybe even who cares what position they play we can't have like four you know all of the same position so positioning is important but we even think in business it's not as important what position they're going to fill so much as who, who they, they are, are. right yeah. you know like they love that can we get so can we surround ourselves with the people that we're going to win i want to talk about the book your mental toughness playbook sounds like a sports book but it's not <laughs> what would we find in this book how can people get a hold of it i want everybody to grab a copy because uh it's a phenomenal piece that you put out now that we already know you got to hurry up and get it because don't put it on your like wish list because then there's going to be another ben newman book coming out later this which year which you're going to already want yeah so i'm going to do so i'm going to do something very very special for all of you because i was so so excited uh to finally be able to do this and i need to have the two of you on the burn uh, you know, our podcast. And so we, we need to do an exchange there. And so I, I know we can get our teams to, to get that lined up. But your mental toughness playbook is the six mental training tools that I've used in our coaching work. So I've been co doing coaching work. First time I was ever brought in to speak was 2006. First time I ever started coaching somebody was 2008. So for 15 years, we had these principles and tools that we utilized in our coaching. Once again, it started in the corporate world. And we ultimately on, ended up bringing them together to create your mental toughness playbook, which really walks you through these six tools from attaining belief in yourself, which doesn't mean that you don't believe in yourself. It's the next level of your belief to the power to reframe to what we call prize fighter days, which is made up of those standards and choices that cause you to win. And so these six tools, and it's called the mental toughness playbook, a million downloads we've had of this book. We're already on the fourth edition. And I'm going to do something special for all of you. So if you go to freeplaybook.net, you can get a free ebook version of your mental toughness playbook. If somebody wants a hard copy, you can go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. But I'm just a big relationship guy. Meltzer is so good. He's taught me to love and give more. So I'm going to love and give more to both of you and to your listeners. But those are the tools that I use with athletes. Like with Najee Harris at Alabama, that's what I used. With Microsoft, with that story I told earlier, that's what we used. And one of the things that's important for me, you know, I found over time is what, I, you know, if you go back to 2006, you know, I thought I was a pretty good speaker then. You, know, you get better over time. But, you know, back in 2006, I'd give a speech. And what did you leave people with? Like, maybe you made them feel good. It was really just a motivational speech. And I realized over time, motivation is fleeting. And it wasn't enough for me. And it's absolutely not enough for the people that are listeners. There has to be something that you leave that drives long-term growth and sustainability that changes how they think, that changes their behavior. So I appreciate that you brought up the playbook because it enables me to give a free gift. I didn't even know we were going to talk about it. But this way, people can use this to actually make change in their life. To say, oh, this standard conversation is great. Well, then go check out the prize fighter day in the book. I just gave it to you for free. So now you have no excuse. Other than when most of the times when you give people books for free, you like think that there's like something tied to it. I'm going to charge you later. It's free. It's a book. It's forever. You can have it. Freeplaybook.net. Also, yep. very important, bennewman.net. Fan of the .net. Makes it easy. Freeplaybook.net, bennewman.net. We're up against it, but here's what we do. We always, I like to make these like 30 minutes because I feel like that's sort of a traditional cardio run. I, I think a lot of people <laughs> listen to this 
while they're doing they their do. cardio. Now you have an interesting discipline around exercise. Let's bring it home by inspiring these people. Tell us about this discipline. What motivates you and inspires you to keep going? Maybe some people will be like, all right, so if the, if the podcast goes a hair over 30 minutes, that's okay because I'm doing I'm it for the going. right reasons. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to answer the question because you asked the question. So I, I want to be direct because uh, I think it's important to, to answer it. Uh, but when I answer this, it doesn't mean that everybody has to do what I do. There's people who do workouts that are much harder than mine. And you could do something that's less if you've, haven't been as disciplined thus far this year, start somewhere and just be disciplined and consistent. But I've actually worked out for 1,371 straight days. And it's a workout that I do that takes 45 minutes. It's 10 exercises. Most people can't do it one time. I mean, it's like 10 minutes of planking, five minutes of wall sits, crazy amounts of jumping jacks all in a row. I mean, it's kind of all air squats. It's kind of nuts. But what I realized over time, and now, now the listeners realize this guy's got screws loose. And so <laughs> what I realized over time was we are all the example for somebody. Mm -hmm. And so if I walk into a room with this team from Microsoft, or if I walk in with Najee Harris and the Alabama football team, if I walk in and they can tell just by looking at me, this guy has no discipline whatsoever. This guy probably hadn't worked out in a gym in years. There's no possible way that we can have an expectation that they're going to listen to the things that I have to say. And so I'm a big believer that especially in this kind of work, we have to be an example. But even if you're not in this work, I promise you, just like these two little eyes watched my mother and how she came to that dining room table every night to ask me how my dinner, my, my day was at school and we had 24-hour nursing care in the house, there's somebody watching you. And if you don't have children yet, maybe it's a colleague, maybe it's a friend, it's a loved one, but there's somebody watching you. And I just encourage everybody, be an example for somebody. Do the things that you say you're going to do. And that greatest life lesson I ever learned came from my mom. It's not how long you live, it's how you choose to live your life. So choose to do the things that will cause you to win and the legacy that you will leave behind will impact people for generations to come. Ooh, who you got, who you got. And I don't, I don't know when this is going to drop. So either you're going to be like, you know, mystic Ben, or I don't know if we get this out ahead of time. Who do you have winning the national championship? Who do I have winning the national championship? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm going to pull for Jim Laranaga down at Miami. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like my grandpa on the sidelines. <laughs> I remember, you know, I remember he took George Mason to the final four, which was crazy back in 2006. I'm like, now this guy's doing it again. And I think to, to set a new standard at the U, you know, the U's been known for football. They've never been to the, right. The, the never been's never been to the final four, never been to the finals, never won it. Right. And to have your grandpa lead you to the championship. How amazing would that be? And he's just a man who's done it for so long. I am pulling for Jim Laranaga. He's amazing. And I'm also pulling for uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks. I am a huge Dawn Staley fan, uh, huge basketball in our house. My son and my daughter, Isaac and Kennedy. And I mean, you talk about Dawn Staley resetting the standard and a standard of excellence and expectation and somebody who does it right. Dawn Staley is amazing. So I got Miami and I got South Carolina. Absolutely love it. You absolutely crushed it. Thank you so much for we being with us. We could talk forever. I already, I, I already knew Lacey was a super fan. And now me as well. Super awesome to share with you. 
Um, look forward to more time together. Um, I know that you guys Lacey are coming I, on the burn and, next. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Lacey <laughs> and I and the Melters are coming out to St. Louis in the summer. We'll have to uh, connect with you, uh, get out there and have some fun. Um, I don't know how we do it, but next week we got to try again. We, try. we get the standard. We have to try and do better next week. We're going to have to dig deep because somebody's going to have to come on and follow Ben Newman, <laughs> but we'll give it a shot. All right, folks, we want to thank you so much for participating this week. Stay tuned next week for a brand new edition of the None of Your Business podcast.